Good morning. No, go with it. Yeah, John was just giving me a last chance uh, to grab my notes from him. Um, this morning we're trying something new, and we're all trying it together. Uh, I am. I felt like throughout this week, um, last night and this morning, I felt like God's Spirit was leading me to preach without notes. Um, and for me, that was like a scary thing because um, I tend to spend a lot of time in the notes to make sure that I've heard clearly from God. I have a clear direction. Um, and I think it, it's become a kind of a, a security blanket in anxiety, if I get in a moment where I don't know what to say, I always have my notes, you know, like my security blanket with me. And um, it could fail, but I'm trusting that um, God put that on my heart because he wants to show himself faithful to me in a new way um, and faithful to all of us in what he would speak to us by spirit. Um, and, I mean, we have the Word of God, so this is the notes. This is the notes that's the most important because if we read this and we uphold the name of Jesus and we read His Word and we seek His face, um, His Word does the work. It does the work of revealing our hearts, of changing us. Um, and so today I, I kind of I wanted to be free to read our passage and to be present with everyone here, and to be present with the Spirit in a way where um, I just wanted to be freed up. And um, so we're already there, and I'm already talking, and and, uh, it's a beautiful thing. So if you're joining us for the first time today, um, we've been in a series for 2020 um, called The Present One. And we've been, as a church, examining the life of Jesus as the revelation of God's presence among his people. So we want to we be really attuned uh, to what it means to know the presence of God, to hear the voice of God, uh, to know the way that God demonstrated himself through the life of Christ as being Emmanuel, God with us, present with his people, walking amongst people, rubbing shoulders against people, um, in the flesh, God in the flesh, fully man, Fully God. Um, so we've been looking at that. And I think partially it's, we want as a people to not just have head knowledge of God. It's a really good thing to be taught really well and to know the scripture really well. So I'm not sacrificing that, I'm not diminishing that. But we want to have a head knowledge of God and his word that leads to a radical heart transformation. And this is not a one-time event. Um, in the, A verse that's just been speaking to me and speaking to me and speaking to me is, in the same way you have come to Christ, so live in Him, so walk in Him. That should be true of our everyday experience. And if we get to a place where we find um, that we, maybe we've lost our first love or we've lost that desire to, to come to Christ afresh today, um, we need to allow the Spirit and the Word to work on us, to do some heart surgery, to have His way with us, for His words to hurt us in a bit. You know, There's sometimes where the words of Jesus in, in God's Word or the words of the Spirit to us, they're going to sting. They're going to call things to the surface in us that if we were God, we wouldn't want to call to the surface. But the good news is we are not God. Um, I would not want to live in a world where any one of us or me was God because that would be a terrible world. It would be filled with selfishness and greed and every horrible thing. But uh, the good news today is that we live in a world where God is in control. He's sovereign. He has a plan for each one of our lives. And that plan uh, hinges upon Jesus Christ crucified. 2,000 years ago, presenting us by faith in him alone, pure and spotless before the Father today, right now. Do you believe that? 
in your heart. That, that radically transforms every day that you wake up. This is going to be very fluid. Um, I'm thinking of a conversation. I'm going to... I had a conversation with a brother yesterday. Um, brother's name is Rob. And if you came to Tony and Julie's wedding, he's known as Big Rob because he's like six foot four. He might be, I might be selling him short. He might be like six, five or six, six, but he's big. And he's like built like a linebacker. I think he played football in college. I'm still learning more about Rob's story. Um, but we are, we're standing on a street corner in Camden. Um, and Rob is just talking to me out of the overflow of his heart, what God has been teaching him. See, this is where no notes fails because I completely forgot why I brought up Big Rob. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know. I was... Oh, yes, thank you. Yeah. So we're talking about what it means to have the gaze of the Father. Like, as a believer in Christ, we have the gaze of of a loving father that wakes us up every morning. Like mercy wakes us up. What it means to have the gaze of God as our father every day of our lives. And Rob was telling me a story about how when he looks out, I'm going to I'm going to kind of give you a little bit more context in a second, but what God is teaching him to see as he looks out and he walks among people, he does like ordinary things of life, like goes and eats and um, takes his kids to swim meets and things like that. Um, when he goes and sees people, he stops seeing like the frustration, the let me get ahead of you in line, the let me get ahead of you in the car. Um, he stops seeing the girl at the Wawa with like the thousand piercings and the crazy hair um, he doesn't see that. What he sees is he sees people longing for the gaze of their father. They're looking for acceptance, belonging, affirmation. They're looking for the love of their father. So what he said, he said he's begun, he's begun to listen to his father when he's speaking to them and Say, Dad, how do you want to use me to show this person who you are today? How do you want to use me? And that really struck me. Um, we should pray and get to the text. We should pray and get to the text. Father, I'm just reminded that we are to be still and know that you are God. Lord, you are the potter and we are the clay. Holy Spirit, come, have your way with us, God. Use my words, use my mind, use my body for your glory. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. All right, so let's go to our text. John 6 is our text. And a reminder, we're talking about the presence of God as displayed in Jesus Christ. Um, Jesus being himself, God. Fully God, fully man, equal to God. So our text for today is John 6, 60. To 71. And we're going to be backtracking a little bit into the story before that because what happens in John 6, verses 60 to 71, it really hinges upon what happened earlier in the story. And the earlier story, it's a longer passage, it's pretty involved, it's pretty intense, and we're going to reference back to that. Um, so let's read that. The working title for this message, um, it's not really perfected yet, but it doesn't really matter. Um, 
it's present with the conflicted. Okay? So if you're looking for a a theme or a title, it's present with the conflicted and present in conflict. And let's read this and see what is the conflict that Jesus brings to the surface. Okay, John 6.60. I'm reading from the New King James. It says, Therefore, many of his disciples, when they heard this, said, This is a hard saying. Who can understand it? When Jesus knew in himself that his disciples complained about this, he said to them, Does this offend you? What then if you should see the Son of Man ascend where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak to you are spirit and they are life. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were who did not believe and who would betray him. And he said, therefore, I've said to you that no one can come to me unless it has been granted to him by my father. From that time, many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. Then Jesus said to the twelve, Do you also want to go away? But Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Also, we have come to believe and know that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus answered them, Did I not choose you, the twelve, and one of you is a devil? He spoke of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, For it was he who would betray him, being one of the twelve. It's an intense passage. Um, It's intense. Let's give a little context to this. Because we arrive on the scene in that text in the middle of a conflict. And the conflict is not in Jesus. The conflict is in the people that have been seeking and following Jesus. And all of a sudden, we arrive in the beginning and it says, this is a hard saying. They're having trouble with something that Jesus just said to them. And they're having enough trouble that they're to the point where they're like, I'm done. I'm checking out. I can't follow you anymore. The good news for us today and displayed in this passage we don't have to come to Jesus with everything figured out I'm going to take a tissue my nose is starting to run wow okay we don't have to come to Jesus with everything figured out we don't have to come to Jesus with a heart that has right motivation We don't have to come to Jesus cleaned up, presented to him, sinless, spotless. We don't have to come to Jesus full of desire, ready for him to use us. The good news is, God, through Jesus, accepts you and me today by faith, wherever we are. But his plan is, he will not leave us where we are. And if we'll allow him, he will have his way with us. He will speak to us. His word will speak to us. And it will transform us, because that's what he promises. So what was going on? What was going on in this text? Um, A little background. Jesus was journeying from Jerusalem up towards the Sea of Galilee. Along the way, he was teaching in the synagogues. He was healing the sick. Um, I'm not sure the actual verse reference, but Jesus did whatever the Father told him to do. He could only speak the words that the Father gave him to speak. And he listened to everything that the father was saying. 
And what he did was what the Father wanted. So everything he did was the will of the Father. If we want to know what God is like, we look at the life of Christ. Right? John 14, 9. He says to Philip, Philip, have I been with you so long and you don't know who I am? If you have seen me, you have seen the Father. The expression of what God is like, if we want to know what God is like, we look at Jesus. We look at the life of Christ. So, signs and wonders were being performed. Demons were being cast out. The lame were being healed. The blind were given sight. The deaf could hear. As of now, so far as we know through scripture, the dead hasn't been raised, but we know that where Jesus went, if the Father told him to, the dead were raised. Because he is the author of life. And he has life in him. Because he's connected to the Father. So there's a crowd that's following Jesus. And they're kind of tracking with him. It's kind of like we have never heard somebody speak with authority like you have. Not like the teachers of the law. You know, the the teachers of the law were kind of hung up on observing the law. Right? But Jesus came on the scene and suddenly... He's healing on the Sabbath, which was a big deal. That's a big deal. Like, work on the Sabbath? That doesn't happen. So this crowd is following Jesus. They're noticing his every move. Because they have been taught, they've been trained. They're looking at the scriptures. They're waiting for this one who is to come, the Messiah. To free them. To be their king. They saw it through the lens of... We're under Roman occupation. We don't like this. We don't like the way our lives look now. And we want the Messiah to come and be a conquering king that would just kind of like stomp on this Roman Empire. So Jesus leads them to the Sea of Galilee. There's a multitude, 5,000 men plus women and children. You know, people say like 15,000. There's a lot of people. There's a lot of people. He leads them up the mountainside. And then he, as all the people are coming up towards them, he turns to one of his disciples and he's like, hey, where should we get food for them? Where should we get, an, where should we get food for these guys? And he did this to test them. So a lot of what he said was not really for the purpose of Necessarily getting people's reaction. It was for drawing to the surface what was going on in their heart. So, now I'm going to stick to the text. I'm going to stick to the text. All right, we'll get to stories later. You okay? Everybody okay? We tracking with us? We tracking with me? Okay. Long story, but it's important. Um, So we know the story. If you don't, Jesus, some of his disciples bring five barley loaves, two fish. They bring it up to him. They're like, Peter's like, well, we we got these five loaves and two fish, but uh, that's all I see around here for food. We're in the middle of the wilderness, Jesus. And he's like, that'll do. Bring it over. He gives instructions to the disciples, says, have everybody sit down. And he breaks the bread. He gives thanks. And then he keeps distributing to the disciples and they distribute it to the people. And I remember reading this and something that struck me as if it's not enough of a miracle to feed the 5,000. Jesus actually says that everybody ate until they were satisfied. Everybody ate until they were satisfied. Like, have you ever been in a place where you realize you're having dinner? This is like one of my fears when we have people over. Like, And you realize you're hungry but there's not enough food. Like, for everybody around. And so you do, like, the polite social thing, which is like, man, I am starving. But I'm not going to take as much as I want. Or, maybe if you didn't have enough thought before that, this has happened to me a couple times, maybe you're the first in line, like I've been, and you just load up your plate, and then you turn around, and you realize, like, I just totally took too much. Like, you kind of feel guilty, but you eat it anyway. Just eat it fast. 
Um, it's just amazing. Like, it's not just that he multiplied the bread, but he multiplied it until everybody was satisfied, until they had had their fill. So what happens after that? So Jesus, after that, the word doesn't say, but I'm guessing all the people just sleep out in the field. Like, that's a radical following. Like, these people had ordinary lives like us. It's not like they just walked around and looked for grain all day. Like, they had lives. But there's something about this teacher, Jesus, that has come on the scene where they drop everything and they follow him. So there's a level of devotion there. We have to understand there is a level of devotion for them to track through a countryside, probably with their family, with this man, Jesus. After that, the next day, or actually that night, the disciples get in a boat and they take the boat across the Sea of Galilee. There's a storm, but everybody somehow is is still watching what Jesus is doing and they notice Jesus does not get on the boat. Jesus, in the middle of the storm, walks out on the water and he meets his disciples in the boat and immediately as he steps in the boat, they're at their destination. The next day, the people wake up. They look around for Jesus. He's not there. So they track with him. They follow him. They had their fill the day before. So they ate till they were satisfied. They're in the wilderness. They're in the countryside of Israel. I don't know too much about the topography there, but they're probably hungry at this point. And then they come to Jesus again. And at this point, encountering Jesus, they begin to ask him questions. Let's go there. This is where notes would be really good because it would have been right there. I would have been speaking like 15 seconds ago. Okay, here we are. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? They know that he didn't get in the boat. They see that something miraculous has happened. Jesus answered them and said, Most assuredly, I say to you, we're in John 6, 25, 26. You seek me not because you saw the signs but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. Ouch. Okay, I mean, I am hungry. We're in the middle of the wilderness, Jesus. Slow down. Like, Okay, so first, first set of conversation there doesn't go the way they expected. They didn't expect him to say that. He continues, he says, Do not labor for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to everlasting life, which the Son of Man will give you, because God the Father has set his seal on him. Then they said to him, What shall we do that we may work the works of God? So I want to pause here because it's really easy to like read what's going on in here and be like, they don't get it. And it's true, they don't. But what God really reminded me of in reading this is he started to walk me through the past couple years in the places where I didn't get it. And it's not just that I didn't get it. It's not about heart. I mean, it's not about head. It's about heart. He walked me through the places in my life these past couple years where I came to him for something other than him. What Jesus is revealing here, he's saying, You're coming to me, not because you saw these signs and you want to know more about who I am, but because you're hungry. You had had your fill, and now you want some more. So their bellies were driving them to Jesus. And it's like, it, it kind of makes sense. You almost sympathize with these people like, they're hungry. They're hungry. You just multiplied a kid's load and fed the masses. The good news for us today, we don't have to come 
with right motives, a pure heart, and a spotless record to be accepted before the gaze of our Father. We can come as we are, messed up, broken, haven't figured it all out yet, with loose ends, and Jesus takes us as we are, but he promises not to leave us as we are. This is good story time. Um, man, this is a really... Where do I begin with this? Okay. Um, God's taken me on this journey over the past couple of years where I've been walking out walking forward with the burden on my heart because I, I feel that God has called me to a work that's going to take place in Camden. A work of his spirit. How this began. I met a crazy Jesus follower at my work. I was... I work, for those of you who don't know, I work in a charter school in Camden. Um, I was, at the time, a director of an after-school program, and I would travel from campus to campus. We have several campuses, like 2,500 students in the city of Camden. Um, I had worked there for about 10 or 11 years. Um, And at the time, I'm praying over next steps in my life. And God really just led me to this one verse, and the verse was Psalm 90.12. And it says, teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. And something was different in scripture with this verse. When I encountered this verse, I really felt that God wanted me to unpack this. So I meditated on this verse, not like intentionally, like I sat down in a room and meditated. But God really brought this verse to my mind continually over the course of a year. I was in the time, I don't know if I was in a midlife crisis, might be a little early for a midlife crisis, but I was in the time when I was trying to figure out what I was doing with my life. Have you ever been in that place? Okay, good. So I'm trying to figure this out. I want to take next steps, and I want to take steps in a way, I know I can take steps and I can just walk, but I want to walk in the steps God has, because that's always the best way to walk. But how do you figure out what God wants? It's like, it can be a taunting task a difficult process you know so i'm learning how to recognize the voice of god i'm learning how to discern what he's saying and it's something in practice and this verse teaches us number of days and you give it a heart of wisdom making a heart of wisdom um a couple of things happened during that time um i run into this guy at my work and he's just an insane crazy jesus follower like have you ever gotten in a conversation with somebody and early on in the conversation you're like i'm not sure where this is going to go and i suddenly don't feel like safe in my social setting anymore in terms not physically but like i don't feel i'm not sure what's going to happen this person just broke all the boundaries of conversation in the first time i met them um and that was this man andrew kosaboom that i met and he God just had something special in that relationship. So Andrew and I began praying together, um, began talking, you know, hey man, do you see this scripture? What do you think this means? Kind of like feeding on the word of God in the times that we had at school. If I had a lunch, I'm like, you know what? I'm not really hungry. Let's go get together and pray and see what God wants to do. Um, and in this time, God's spirit was speaking to me. But what I found, and I didn't see this at the time, I wasn't comfortable with what he was saying to me. Because God's spirit was speaking to a particular area of sin in my life. And I wasn't comfortable with what I've felt that he was leading me to do. So here is how God encountered me. He sent me a brother or sister in Christ. And he let this brother and sister in Christ just 
be love, and share their life freely with me. And one time when we were praying, God gave this picture both to me and Andrew. Uh, He gave Andrew a picture of a hand holding a glass. And then the hand drops the glass. And the glass shatters and the water spills. He gave me a picture. This is weird, I know. Just bear with me for a minute. We're just... We're going to get through this. I know. He gave me a picture of a man kneeling down with his face to the ground and a flame around him, flame coming out of him. Man, this is really weird where God's lead me. I'm just going with it. Um, you guys okay? Is everybody listening? Okay. Um, so, at this time, the way in which I encountered God, for that, from that time, since I met him, earlier on in my life, until that moment, God began to encounter me in a way that was different than what I expected. I had been asking him to speak to me. I had been asking him for his next steps in my life. I had been asking him. You could say I, I, I was coming to Jesus for what he could do for me. I was coming to Jesus for a lot of other things than himself. I had my agenda and I was coming to Jesus and I kept presenting him my agenda. This is how I want you to work, God. This is how I want, this is what I want you to do. But at the time, I was not willing to listen to the lamp that he put within me, which is my conscience, which he set in you. He puts your conscience in you to lead you. Your conscience is a lamp of the Holy Spirit. And when the lamp of the Holy Spirit continually brings you back to something, it's not to condemn you, it's to free you. It's to free you. But I was scared about what God wanted me to do was to confess some things in my life to my wife. And I was and I was really hesitant to do that. I was really scared because... It was an area of sin and shame in my life. I wasn't willing to do it. But God just kept bringing back the lamp of my conscience, my thoughts to that place. Kept bringing it back, displaying his goodness, displaying his goodness, displaying his love. But all I saw was sin and shame, sin and shame. But the gaze of the Father was steadily on me. I have formed you. I have made you. You are mine. Be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. And I would hear the voice of sin and shame. But God would steadily bring me back to that place. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So fast forward. God started to do a bunch of... He showed up in ways that I didn't expect him to. Oh, this is going to be... Okay. Um, March 26, 2017. I stood here and I preached a sermon on the true and better Elijah. Right? God was speaking to me through that sermon. God was speaking to me through that sermon. Give me your heart. When you give God your heart, you can't quarantine portions of your heart off and reserve them for yourself. You have to be known by him. To be known by him means he can go in any room of your house. He can take anything out of the closet. If it's sin, if it's garbage, he can take it out. It's his house. It is not your house. He can go in any of the rooms. But this, for me, this one particular area was too much. But God 
is merciful. His mercy wakes us up every day. And it does not wake us up to leave us in the condition of our sin. It wakes us up because he has the power to transform. You can't transform yourself. You have no power to transform yourself. It's not head knowledge. You can't bring your mind to the word of God and expect to transform yourself if you don't allow the word of God in your mind to transform your heart. This is what I'm learning. This is what I've learned. So God began to do crazy things on our campus. I've shared some of these in here. I'm not here to rehearse all those again. But I started keeping a journal of everything that God was doing. Because it was like, I felt like we're going to see a revival in Camden any day now. Like it's going to happen because of the activity of God. God was not after me seeing a revival if he couldn't be a revival in me by his spirit. He's not content to have a piece of you, to have a little bit of your heart, and then for you to have pieces that are yours, that you're the Lord over. He's not content with that. He only wants you and your whole heart. He is so jealous for your heart. He never sleeps. He never slumbers. He's looking for you to give him your heart and to love him in a way that a husband loves a wife, in a way that a wife loves a husband. To know and be known. There's no fear in love. Perfect love casts out fear, because fear has to do with punishment. Those in that place haven't been perfected because they're stuck on punishment. That was my heart. The good news today, you don't have to come to God with pure motives, a perfect heart. You can come to him as you are today. You encounter the living God. He formed you. He breathed into dust and a man stood up. He encounters you today. He is the one who is the author of your yesterday, your today and tomorrow. He is the one who has the right to speak to anything in your life. And he is the one who has the power to do anything he wants to conform you into the image of his son. He has that power today in any area. If you feel spiritually dry, if you're coming to your Bible and you just, you just don't feel like you're hearing from God or there's not even a desire to go there, that's where you are today. And he has the power to meet you in that place and to breathe life into you by his spirit. If you're stuck on what has happened in the past and your mind just takes you back to that, maybe it's something you did, maybe it's something somebody did to you, He is there in that place and his power is for reconciliation. His power is that there would be love shed abroad in our hearts by him. If you're stuck in a pattern of sin, he is the transformer of your heart. He is the one who takes out a heart that is irresponsive to his voice, a heart of stone, and gives you instead a a living heart, a heart of flesh. All right, so for a while, I'm following with God on... Suddenly, I came... I started this journey with God because I was just like, what's my next step in my job? And then I began just thinking, I don't want to make a decision on my own. I want to follow what God says. And in following what God says, I found it was a never-ending rope. It's not like God was just content with giving me a new job. He wanted to give me a new heart. Because jobs are temporary. But what he does in and through us is eternal. There's also this period where people were being healed on our campus. And I don't want to get too much into this because this is kind of a weird area. But I can just say I didn't believe that God could heal people, and there was a thing called a miracle here and now today. I didn't believe it. I didn't even know that I didn't believe it. Um, But things began to happen. People began to be healed, and I don't just mean physical healings. I mean, there were times where God would call somebody in this group of people that were praying. He would just give them a 
a word for somebody and this word would be spoken and it would dress an area of that person's heart we had no knowledge of. In that moment, a word spoken in season. Um, the gift of prophecy. I didn't understand what that was. None of those things, none of those miracles are ends in themselves. None of them. They're not ends in themselves. They are always pointing to who Jesus is, that we would encounter the living God right now, today, afresh, tomorrow, encounter him again. For a while, I began chasing these miracles because I thought I could find who I was in those things, that somehow that would make me like a big shot or something. So I began, I would pray for everybody. It was probably annoying to some people. I mean, I'm, I'm not, there are some times where I, I know God was in it, and sometimes it was just me. Um, so if I prayed for a physical healing for you and it was annoying, I'm sorry. But I know a few specific times in my mind. I can think of them right now. I'm not going to share them. But what God was teaching me through this time is that I was coming to him with a motivation that was false. I was coming to him to see what new sign or miracle he could do. And I wasn't coming to him for him to know me and for me to know him. And that's it. In the relationship where he is everything and I'm just coming to him, the living bread. When I say the good news, I'm living in a place where this news is good today. Because he is working out the things in my heart that don't please him today. He's doing that. And he's doing that for you too. All right. We're getting there. We're getting back to the text. Cancel your plans the rest of the day. I have my daughter's birthday party to get to, so don't worry. Everybody's going to make it where they need to go on time. So Jesus encounters these people, and he, he increases the intensity of the conversation to the point where he, they realize and he realizes we're no longer talking about the same thing. I'm coming to Jesus because he just gave me some awesome food yesterday. And now he's talking about eating his flesh and drinking his blood. And if I don't eat his flesh and drink his blood, I have no eternal life in me. You have to understand, like, that's radical today. It's, I mean, we know it and we know what it speaks of. It's, it's speaking of that he is the bread of life in himself. Jesus is the bread given from heaven that we may eat. And in eating, we may have eternal life. In this case, eating is believing. This is eating with our ears. But they're still looking for their next meal. They're still looking for what they can get from God and not God himself. All right, so back to this. Back to the weird prayer. Can we go there for a minute? I know it's, it's probably been like 35, 40 minutes already. I have no track of time right now. But So for a while, God paired me up with another church that was in North Philly that was believing that God was sending them to Camden for a work that he was doing in the city. I left here for a while, and I was attending there. Um, I was supposed to preach a message. I don't remember the date, but it was in the summer of 2018. And in preparation for this message, remember how we talked about the con- like our conscience is the lamp of God? Like when our conscience repeatedly comes back to something, God is saying, I want to deal with this. 
I want to deal with this. So I'm preparing for this message. And I'm reading the message. I'm reading in John 8. Jesus is talking with the Pharisees. This is the passage. Then Jesus said to the Jews who believed him, If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. Living in his word. Living in his word. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. They answered him, we're Ab- I don't know if you know who we are, Jesus. We're Abraham's descendants. And we have never been in bondage to anybody. How can you say you will be made free? Jesus answered and said, Most assuredly I say to you, whoever commits a sin is a slave of sin. And a slave does not abide in the house forever. But a son abides forever. Therefore, if the son makes you free, you will be free indeed. It's a summer I'm meditating on this passage. And God says, in the still small voice, not audibly, in my spirit, Aaron, this message is for you. You're not to preach it. It's for you to listen to. You need to be under this. I call the pastor on the phone and I tell him, there's an area of my life that I need to confess and I can't preach this. still bound in sin and shame. I go to the... God's Spirit was so heavy upon my heart. Sometimes God as the Father will draw the focus of His presence on one area because He wants to deal with it. All I could hear was his voice in that passage. It's like, you weren't listening. Let me focus it down to just one simple instruction. Repent. That's it. His voice. That's all I heard. So that it was almost like... uh, It's a bad analogy. I'm not going to use it. Um... He wasn't finished with me. He wasn't rejecting me. But he's God and I'm not. His words sometimes sting our hearts. Sometimes they encounter you so that you are in conflict within yourself. Because the flesh wars against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. So we don't know what we want. But if we keep our eyes singly focused on Jesus, then we only have one choice to listen and surrender the spirit. There's only one choice. The pastor that morning preached a message very strongly, very strongly in conviction. And I just, at the end of the surface, fell to my knees and I just wept. And that's how God freed me. He's the potter. We are the clay. We are the clay. He's not finished. He's not finished with you. He's not finished with me. He has the power to do anything to transform you into the likeness of His Son. Will you allow His words, His words, to cut you? Many were cut in this place. They were, con- they were offended. And they walked away. This was written. For us. So that we would learn from the example we see in here. And live in surrender. Surrender is not something we do once. We did 20 years ago. Surrender is a lifestyle of walking with Him.
God was showing me the fulfillment of that dream in that moment. He's not finished with me. He's the potter. You are the clay. Your life. Your life is not your life. He is calling all of us, not just me. He's calling all of us to live daily surrendered. Dying to ourselves that he may live through us. All of us. Father, I thank you. For the relentless work of your spirit. I thank you that you are a jealous lover of our soul. Lord, there are times where you discipline us, God. But you discipline us for our good, for a season. Because what father does not discipline their children? If they don't discipline their children, they're illegitimate and they don't love them, Lord. But you, as our good father, discipline us for our good. And in discipline, Lord, you show us that we are your sons and daughters. And there's no greater joy in our heart, Lord, than to be a son or a daughter of the King. God, I pray you would do a work in all of our hearts, God, to return us continually to our first love. If we've become cold, if we've become distant, I pray that by your Spirit today you would return us to our first love. I pray for radical heart freedom, radical thought freedom in this room. Lord, that we would be a people that live out what it means to have the mind of Christ. Show us, God. We come to you, Lord, As we are now, mold us, God. Shape us. It's in your name we pray. Amen.